Good morning, Harvest Bible Chapel, Muskoka. It is uh, so good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, my wife Lynn and I have been really looking forward uh, to this weekend, and uh, it's great to uh, hear, talk to Kai and hear over the phone what God is doing, and he's doing some great things here in your church, but it's a whole different thing just to be here and to look into your faces and to see this, the place that you meet and to get a sense of what God is doing uh, here. Uh, we've been really excited about coming, and we are not disappointed in any way. Uh, just being around your church and the people here, you just sense, you know, the Spirit of God at work and people excited about worshiping Him. And the other cool thing is, is as we get into our different churches, uh, you just feel like you're at home. You feel so much at home. The songs we sing, the things that you're emphasizing, the friendliness of the people. And uh, so thank you for making us feel very welcome. And it's really, really great to be back with you this morning. My wife and I are Canadians. And... Uh, yeah, we're, uh, we were, uh, both grew up in Brantford and have been in uh, Chicago now for 28 years. But uh, there's something about coming across that border and coming into the Great White North and coming back to the land flowing with Tim Hortons and Swiss Chalet. It's, uh, it's just, there's just something special about that. And uh, we've been to Tim Hortons. Have you tried those chocolate whoopee? Anyway, go try those. Those are really good. But uh, we have not got to uh, Swiss Chalet yet. Who knows? Uh, maybe, maybe yet uh, we will get there. But uh, thankful for your church. Thank you for what God's doing here. The impact that's being made in lives of people. The way that you're, uh, it's impacting your community. Uh, we just got to believe your best days are ahead. Do you believe that? I, we do for sure. God's got much more that he wants to do. And we love your pastor, Kai. And uh, I think I met Kai and Libby for the first time because uh, my parents had a cottage up at NBC. And I think, uh, you know, Kai used to spend a lot of time up there causing trouble. And uh, I think I got to know you first of all up there. But then, of course, Kai came uh, to the training center in Chicago uh, before he planted the church here. And, of course, we got to know him. And, and uh, I think we were just saying that was like seven or eight years ago. There's two things I love about Kai and that he's so known for. One is that he wears flip-flops all the time. And uh, he's our flip-flop pastor. And we love that about him. Uh, but the second thing is, I just really liked him as soon as I met him. And I loved his humor. I loved the, the sincerity, the genuineness of who he is. You, he's like that, isn't he? And uh, you just sense his passion for Jesus. And he loves you. He loves this church. He loves preaching God's word. You have a great pastor. And uh, you should be. Yeah, you should. And uh, we're, we're thankful for you. We're also really thankful for your church because, as Kai said, one of the joys I have is I get to serve in our church, but I get to serve in the fellowship. And I think it's one of the most exciting things that's going on is church planting. And that's what we should be about. And I hope you, as a church, feel like when I'm talking about this, like this is something we're doing together. It's not something I'm doing. It's something that we're doing because your church supports this. You pray about it. Your, your senior pastor, you let him come and get involved uh, in the training center and different things that he helps us with. And, uh, but you financially are supporting this. So when we talk about God planting 155 churches, not only here in North America, but around the world, you should hear what God's doing internationally. Uh, the training center that just started in Romania, our first five guys there, the way that God is opening the doors up into Europe and the opportunities that are coming through that and other training centers that are coming in other places in the world. It's fantastic. And the lives that are being changed, the guys that are being trained, the churches that are... You guys, thank you. 
I'm here on behalf of Harvest Bible Fellowship, in a sense, just to say thank you to your church for your support. And uh, I hope you have a sense that that is something we're doing together. Now, in the fall, the biggest class we've ever had so far is 15 guys in the training center in Chicago. And this year, our goal was 40. Uh, we, want, we just felt God put on our heart 40 guys in the training center. And I want you to hear there's, al- there's already 30 that are coming, and we believe we're going to hit it. And so that's 40 more churches that will be planted in about a year. And how exciting is that? And by the way, okay, I like that. That's something we're celebrating. And uh, the cool thing is three of the guys that are going to be there are Canadians. So how great is that? So we want to see more Canadians, Kai. So I uh, keep working on that. And uh, we're excited about that. So, but the other reason I'm here is to preach the word. That's what I'm really fired up about. And I hope you guys are ready to get into God's word today. Do you have it open? Yeah, everybody got a Bible? So uh, Philippians chapter 3, that's where we're going. Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to read this passage to you uh, right now, actually. Philippians chapter 3. And uh, Paul's writing to a group of believers just like you and I. This church in Philippi. And uh, they were going through some really hard stuff. And uh, Paul had some things, very specific things to say to them that were to encourage them in their faith and to stand firm. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, uh, Paul says this. Follow along as I read. He says, brothers, that's just another word for believers. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But (laughs) our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. If there was a word that I had to choose to kind of describe our world and the society in which we're living in, I I think the word that I would choose would be unstable. Would you agree with that? Our our world's kind of unstable. And some of you are going, okay, Rick, I hear you say that. Like, why would you say that? Well, here's some reasons why I would say that. Uh, You guys just elected a new prime minister, right? And, uh, you know, we're getting ready to elect a new president very soon. And I think we have the same sense that you have is like kind of like, where's our country going? And what are these policies? And how is that going to affect my life? And what is this country going to be like when my children are adults? And it's a little unstable, right? Oh, here's another one. Terrorism. And it's getting closer and closer to home. And it's happening, you know, right in the United States, too. And I, I've, I've seen on the TV where it's happening here in Canada. And people feel like, you know, who's protecting us? And what's my country going to do for me? And, and, you know, when is it going to hit closer to me? And, and people feel fearful and things just feel a little bit unstable. Oh, here's the third thing I was thinking about. 
You know, when you think about our family values and things that we believe and have convictions about, what the Bible teaches about marriage and family and all those kind of things, and we see the attack on that right now, and things are changing, and man, what's it going to be like when our kids grow up, and, and all the different uh, thoughts and philosophies, and things just seem unstable. Well, I got some good news for you. And that's why Paul was writing this letter to this church in Philippi, to these Philippian believers. Because you know what? They were facing some things very similar in their society that were making things feel very unstable. And here's the thing I love about the Apostle Paul. He's writing this letter and he's saying, listen, you don't have to feel despair. You don't have to feel afraid. You don't have to feel discouraged. You can stand firm. You can stand firm in your faith no matter what you're facing, no matter what the challenges, no matter what the painful things you might be going through. Paul is saying, you can stand firm. And that's the good news I bring to you this morning. Well, it's not really me. This is what God wants us to hear this morning from his word through the Apostle Paul that we can stand firm. Now listen. Of course, the question is, so how do I do that? Well, Paul says, I think you're going to see it right as we go through these verses. There's these five principles that Paul says, if we'll apply these things that he's writing right in this letter, that he was writing to the Philippians, that he's saying to us today, you can stand firm. You'll see that fruit in your life. So are you guys ready to jump into God's word? Okay, one person is, so okay. <laughs> you and me, we're going to jump into God's word. I know, I know. Uh, you're all ready to jump into God's word. So here we go. All right, starting at verse 17, here's the first principle. If you want to stand firm, Paul says this, pursue intentional imitation. That's what he says. If you want to stand firm, you have to pursue intentional imitation. Now listen, one of the most effective ways to learn a new skill is through this thing called imitation. And I want you to think about it. Uh, think, how did you learn to throw a ball? How did you learn to swing a bat? How did you learn, this is a good Canadian thing, how did you learn to shoot a puck? How did you learn to do that? Well, if you were like me, you found someone who had certainly mastered that skill or somebody was at least more experienced in it than I was, and I got them to show me how to shoot that puck. And then after they left, what did you start to do? You would imitate, imitate, imitate until I could do it, until I had it, until I could perform that skill. And Paul is saying to these Philippian believers and to us as the followers of Jesus Christ today, he's saying, take that principle of intentional limitation and apply it to the pursuit of Christ's likeness in your life. Now, some of you are looking at me, and you should be right now, saying, okay, Rick, I get what you're saying, but where are you getting that from? That's always a good question for the preacher. Well, look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. What does he say? He says, look, Brothers, believers, join in imitating me. The word imitate there is in a verb form uh, that you would call continuous action. I'm not telling you that, so you'll go, wow, he knows. I'm not trying to impress you. I'm trying to communicate an important truth. The verb is in continuous action, which tells us what? This is not to be a one-time event in my life, this idea of imitating others. 
It's to be daily. It's to be weekly. It's to be monthly. Listen, this principle of pursuing intentional imitation is something that I'm supposed to be doing in my life every day until I go home to be with the Lord Jesus. It's important. The pursuit of imitating those who are imitating Christ. And then he goes on and he says this. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Key phrase, keep your eyes. The word there means keep your gaze, keep your focus. You see what Paul's saying? He's saying, don't get distracted. Don't get your eyes on the wrong things or people. Get your eyes, get your gaze on those who are more spiritually mature than you are. Get your eyes on those who are following hard after the Lord Jesus Christ. Get your eyes and your focus. Watch those who are bearing the fruit of Christ's likeness in their life. Watch what they do and... Imitate it. That's what he's telling us. Now the question that might be coming to some of your minds, and this is a good question, what I was thinking about is, okay, I want to watch them, but what exactly should I be watching in their life that I would begin to imitate? Well, I wrote down some, some, some suggestions that I'm looking for in people's lives that I want to imitate. Here's some. What is their walk with God like? What are the priorities in their life? How does that person treat their wife and children? What's their marriage look like? When adversity and trials come into their life, how do they respond? And how does God use that in their life? And Paul is saying, watch what they do and imitate it. Can I give you an example of that? Did you hear about these... uh, guys out in Colorado a couple of summers ago who climbed this mountain that nobody had ever climbed before. There's a picture. I brought a couple of pictures. Isn't that amazing? Uh, Their names were Kevin Jorgensen and Tommy Caldwell. Now, you know, some people think this is fun. That's not fun. That looks very dangerous to me. All right, but there's some people who really enjoy this. Maybe there's people in this room who do this kind of thing. And uh, my hat's off to you. But these two guys, their names were Kevin Jorgensen and Tommy Caldwell. And it took them 19 days to climb to the top of this 3,000-foot granite mountain. It's called the Dawn Wall of El Capitan in Yosemite National Park. And it's the steepest, tallest, blankest section of the mountain. Now, this is the part that cracks me up. They used only ropes and safety harnesses to catch them in case of a fall. All in favor of that being a good idea? Really good idea. But they relied entirely on their own strength and dexterity to ascend the mountain by grasping cracks as thin as razor blades and as small as dimes. Is that amazing? To pull themselves up to the next spot. Now let's say you get kind of fired up or I get fired up about mountain climbing after reading that story. And I say to you, I'm going to climb a mountain. I've never done it before, but I'm going to go climb a mountain. Okay, you should be rushing the stage right now and saying, Rick, we're not going to let you do that. That's not going to end well for you. And I would appreciate that. But not a mountain like that. You know, like maybe a good-sized mountain. But would this make you feel better about me doing it? What if I told you that I was taking one of these two guys with me up the mountain? So let's say it's Tommy Caldwell. Tommy Caldwell is going to lead me up the mountain. All in favor? You feel better about me climbing the mountain now? Okay. And so Tommy says, okay, Rick, Saturday morning, 9 o'clock, 
get your climbing gear on. I'll meet you at the bottom of the mountain. We're going up. And so it's Saturday morning. It's 9 o'clock. It feels a little weird having this stuff on, but I'm excited. I'm ready to go up the mountain when all of a sudden I hear this helicopter kind of flying overhead and it kind of comes to the peak of the top of the mountain and out, out there drops Tommy Caldwell and he's standing on the top of the mountain. He says, Rick, come on up. The mountain is, the, the view is beautiful up here. That's not going to help me. You know, I'm not going to probably get up the mountain very well. Would you agree? Okay, it's Saturday morning. It's 9 o'clock. I'm down at the bottom of the mountain. I got my climbing gear on. I'm ready to go. This time Tommy Caldwell doesn't show up in a helicopter. He comes walking along the ground to me. He says, okay, Rick, are you ready to go? I say, yes. He says, this is what I, I'm going to give you some very simple instructions, and here it is. I want you to tie your rope onto me. And wherever you see me, put my hands and feet as we go up to the mountain. I want you to put your hands and feet in exactly the same spot. And Rick, if you will do that, I will guarantee that I will get you safely to the top of the mountain. Do you see the picture? And Paul in this verse, as he's telling us, if you're going to stand firm, you've got to pursue intentional imitation, is telling us as followers of Jesus Christ, find that person who's more spiritually mature than you, than you are. Find that person who's bearing the likeness of Jesus Christ in their life. Tie your spiritual rope onto that person. And as they begin to ascend the mountain of Christ's likeness in their life, do the things that they are doing. Imitate them. And you will bear the likeness of Christ in your life and it will help you to stand firm in your faith. That's what he's telling us. Now listen, I'm not going to be the preacher who's standing up here to tell you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. And I have found the fruit of this in my own life. Can I tell you about a couple of people that have been these kinds of people for me in my life? One of them is Pastor James. You know, Kai was just referencing that, you know, we've worked together. We knew each other in Bible college. We've known each other for a long time. I've learned a lot about leadership and preaching and, and casting vision and, and living the Christian life. A lot of things I've learned just by watching him for these 28 years. But probably one of the greatest lessons that was the most impactful in my life as I observed him was, as many of you know, a few years ago, we were going through a very difficult time in our church. We were under attack, and he was in many ways himself personally. A lot of things that were being said that weren't even true. And as I watched Pastor James choose to respond to that attack with graciousness and humility and allowing God to fight that battle for him, and the way that God was true to his word, that he gives grace to the humble, and that he will lift them up, and that he will empower those people. And as I saw that, I thought, when that comes into my life, I'm going to imitate that. He stood firm, and I, I'll stand firm when I do that. Oh, here's another person in my life. Kent Shaw. Some of you don't know Kent, but he's the director of the Harvest Bible Fellowship. I've known Kent. He's been a friend of mine for over eight, 15 years. If you know Kent, he's a guy who's committed to, uh, to God's, the study of God's word, and he's a man of prayer, and he is a man who puts God's word to memory. And I've seen the impact that that's had in his life. I see the way that that helps him to stand firm. I see the solid foundation that that brings into his life. And I'm telling you, when I see that, I went, I want to imitate that and see the same fruit born in my own life. So here's my question to you, loved ones, and it's this. Let's make it really practical. 
So who are you imitating? Who's that person that you've tied your spiritual rope onto? That you're watching, more spiritually mature than you are, that you're watching and learning and imitating. Do you have that person? Is there, is there a face coming to your mind? Because here's the good news. If you don't have that person in your life, you can have them this week. This is a church that has this thing called small groups where people gather on a weekly basis and discuss the Christian life and hold each other accountable and you could meet a man or a woman that you could have in your life this week that you could tie your spiritual rope onto and begin to imitate the things that you see as they are imitating the Lord Jesus Christ in their life that will help you to stand firm in your faith. But here's the second question. And I had to think through this one myself because this was convicting. And it was this. What if we all had to tie our spiritual rope onto you this week? And we imitated the things that we saw you doing in your life. Would that have drawn us closer to Christ? Would that help us to stand firm in our faith? Or would it have had the opposite intention in our life? Listen, loved ones. Do you want to stand firm? Paul says, pursue intentional imitation. Here's the second thing that he tells us. He didn't stop there. He's got another one, he says, in verses 18 and 19. You want to stand firm? He says, avoid worldly influences. He says, avoid worldly influences. Listen, this whole idea of uh, intentional imitation is really on the heart and mind of the Apostle Paul. Because not only did he spend verse 17 talking about it in a very positive way, now he's going to take two more verses to talk about this idea of imitation, but he's giving us a warning. This is a warning for believers. He's saying, listen, we aren't just to imitate any person or anything in our life if we're about standing firm in our faith. In fact, he's saying there's people and things that we don't want to imitate. And he's warning us and he's saying you should avoid worldly influences. It won't help you to stand firm in your faith. Look at what he says in verse 18. He says this. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, when I read that verse, the first word out of my mouth was, wow. Those are hard words. Who's Paul talking about? He's calling people, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, I could give a lot of explanation to who this was, but if I just get to the bottom line, who are these people, the enemies of the cross of Christ? Who's he talking about? It's this they're unbelievers. They're people who have never embraced for themselves what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. They've never come to the place where they believe that Jesus is the only payment for our sin, and that we can know the forgiveness of our sin, and that we can have a relationship with this God who loved us and sent his son. And they've never embraced him for themselves. And by their very life, the fruit, the characteristics of their life, they're demonstrating that they don't know Jesus. Now listen, church. Can I pause here for a moment? Because there's an important principle I don't want us to miss, and it's this. You're not a Christian because you say you are. I want to say this kindly and gently, but it's so important. You're not a Christian because you say you're a Christian. Jesus taught this all through the New Testament. 
He says, you're a Christian and you can have the confidence that you're a Christian, not because you walked an aisle, not because you prayed a prayer, not because your family comes to church and maybe your parents were believers. The reason that you can know that you're a Christian is because your life is bearing fruit and giving evidence to those around that you have had a changed heart, that you have a new master, that Jesus Christ is now sitting on the throne of your life and your life is bearing fruit and giving evidence that that has happened in your life. And if you see that fruit, Jesus says, that is the evidence that you're truly a follower of me. Okay, back to this passage. Paul is saying, and by the way, these aren't faceless people that Paul was talking about, these enemies of the cross of Christ. These weren't faceless people. These were people that were at one time were in the church in Philippi. These were people that Paul knew. These were people that the church, the people in the church in Philippi knew. These were people that called themselves Christians. But these were people who now, by their very life, as they are out of the church and living their lives, their life and fruit is telling everyone they really don't know Christ. So what are these fruits, you might say? Like, Rick, how can you make that statement? Well, look what Paul says. He gives them right to us here. Look at what in verse 18 he tells us. There's four of them. He says this. He says, their God is their belly. He says, their God is their belly. A better word for belly there is, he says, their God is their body. Do you see what he's saying? I wrote down the word. He's talking about their passions. What's the passions in their life? It's their body. It's their desires. It's their passions. It's what they want. They don't look to God's word to satisfy their deepest needs. They're looking to the world, and it will never satisfy their needs. It won't help them to stand firm. He says their God is their belly. Here's another one. He says they glory in their shame. I just wrote down the word. He's, now he's talking about pride, their attitude. They glory in their shame. Uh, these people don't look to God's word. This isn't the authority for their life. They're not living in obedience to what God's word says. In fact, if you go to these people and try to tell them this is what God's word they says, I don't care. I got a plan. I like my, what I'm doing. I like my life. They're prideful. They're not humble. Paul says that's not going to lead us to stand firm. Oh, here's the third thing. He says their mind is set on earthly things. Their mind is set on earthly things. I wrote down the word. Now Paul's talking. What are the priorities in their life? What are the priorities in their life? Paul says their mind is set on earthly things. They're not thinking about the future. They're not thinking about heaven. They're not thinking that one day they'll stand before Jesus Christ and give an account for their life. They're looking to this world. They're finding their security in what they can gather. What can I, what can I store up? What can I, what can I earn? That's where their security is. That's where their priority is. And then Paul says this last thing. In fact, it was the first in the list. He said, their end is destruction. If these are the characteristics ongoing in their life, if this is what they're really about, now he's talking about the place, he says, their end is destruction. And when they go to eternity, if they've never turned to Jesus, they're going to a place called hell. Now listen. Paul wasn't happy about that as he was writing this. Do you see what he said earlier on? He says, I write these things to you with tears. As the people were writing, reading this letter, it was stained with Paul's tears as he thought about these people and, the, and what eternity held for them if they never turned to Jesus. So what's the practical application for us here, loved ones, as we think about standing firm? It's this. If you're going to stand firm in your faith, do not imitate these things. 
What are the passions in your life? Don't look to the world. When the challenges come and the temptations come, they may be a quick enjoyment, but they won't help you to stand firm. Have a humble heart. Submit yourself to God's word. Do what it says. It's always right, even when you're questioning it. What are the priorities in your life? Is it God's word? Is it the things that he tells us? Loved ones, these are the things that will help us to stand firm when we're imitating those who are imitating Christ in their life. Here's the third principle. Here's the third principle. Paul says, comprehend eternal identification. Paul says, comprehend your eternal identification. Look what he says in verse 20. He goes on and he says this. But, he's turning a corner here. He's going back to the positive. But, our citizenship is in heaven. Do you see where that point's coming from? Comprehend your eternal identification. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're bearing the fruit of, like, not, of Christ's likeness in your life, he's reminding you of your identification. But our citizenship is in heaven. Now listen, citizenship was a really important thing to these, Rome, to these Philippian believers that Paul was writing to. When he used this term, they totally got it for two reasons. Here's the first reason. Citizenship, Roman citizenship, meant everything to these people. Remember, these people lived in a place called Philippi, and Philippi was a Roman colony, and many of these believers that Paul was writing to were Roman citizens, and their citizenship meant everything to them. These people, because of that, would never want to say or do anything that would bring shame and embarrassment back into a sense to Caesar or to Rome, where it was the origin of their citizenship. And I thought to myself, isn't that what Paul would say to us today? If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're seeking to imitate those who are imitating Christ, if you're seeking to stand firm, he's saying, listen, we would never want to say or do anything in our life that would bring shame and embarrassment to the Lord Jesus Christ and to heaven, the place and origin of our citizenship. But there was a second thing when Paul used the word citizenship that the people understood, and it was this. There were many benefits to being a Roman citizen. There was benefits. Can I tell you of just three? If you were a Roman citizen, you could vote. That was something that only citizens could do. Uh, secondly, if you were a Roman citizen, you were treated as a first-class citizen. The laws of Rome would protect you. And then here, thirdly, if you were a Roman citizen, you could own land. You could get ahead financially. And there were benefits to being a citizen. Can I give you an example of that? Lynn and I can kind of uh, relate to that. I don't want you to get upset when I say this, but um, back in 2006, my wife and I decided to become American citizens. It became apparent that we, God wasn't bringing us back here to Canada, and we thought there were some good reasons for taking citizenship in the United States. But I'm telling you, it's quite a process. Uh, we had to fill out a lot of forms that they had to read over and make sure that we were really who we said we were and that we didn't have a, an awful past. And we had to go through interviews and we had to write a test. And of course, Uncle Sam likes to get his hand in your pocket. And we had to, it cost us something to become American citizens. But can I tell you something? 
There's benefits to becoming American citizens. Can I just tell you a few? Uh, for the very first time, uh, we could vote. And we're looking forward to the election this year. And we're not really sure. There's a lot of really great choices, but we're going to vote. That's a benefit of citizenship. I remember, and Lynn will remember this, when we were in the courtroom and the judge stood up and he looked out at all the people who were becoming citizens, all from different places of the world. And he looked at us and he said, look, you have all the same rights and benefits of people who were born in this country. And that was a great thing to hear. That was a great benefit. And then here's a third benefit. We got an American passport that made traveling in and out of the United States and even coming into Canada this, for this week makes travel so much easier. Do you see what Paul was saying? Remember your eternal identification believer. There are benefits to citizenship. And they get very practical as we seek to stand firm in our faith. There's benefits of knowing Jesus Christ that help you to stand firm in your faith when you're going through challenging times in your life. I just jotted down four benefits. Uh, I could have told you many, but here's four that maybe will be an encouragement and a good reminder that will help you to stand firm. Here's a benefit of citizenship. If you know Jesus Christ, he promises his, in James chapter 1, verse 5, he promises his wisdom. I don't know about you, but sometimes the Christian life can be challenging and difficult. I'm opening up God's word and I got a decision to make and it doesn't always seem clear. And Lord, what would be the right thing to do? And God says, pray, ask. If you'll ask me, I'll give you wisdom that will help you to make a wise and practical decision that will honor and please me and keep you from painful consequences of a bad decision. Aren't you thankful for wisdom? What a great benefit to help me to stand firm. Oh, here's another one. God promises us his strength. He promises his strength. In Psalm chapter 28, verse 7, I don't know about you, but living the Christian life sometimes is really hard and challenging. Uh, being obedient to what God says in his word would not always be the thing that I would choose to do. And sometimes I go, God, I can't do this. I, I, it's too hard. It's overwhelming. And God loves it when we're humble enough to say we don't have enough strength because he says, I'll give you my strength. I'll give you everything you need to stand firm and be obedient in that situation. He promises his strength. Oh, here's a third benefit. He promises us his peace. Isn't this great? He promises you peace. I wonder if somebody's sitting here this morning and is going through a really difficult situation and this is the benefit that you needed to hear this morning. That whether you're going through a good time or whether you're going through the most challenging time, God says, I promise you, peace. You know what peace is? It's this. Here's a really quick little definition. It's the calm assurance that what God is doing is best, even when I don't see it. I can have that confidence. He gives me his peace. What a great benefit. And here's the fourth one. God promises his presence. God promises his presence. In Exodus chapter 33 and verse 14, it's the reminder that when Satan comes along in those difficult, challenging times and he's whispering into your ear, do it. Do it, even though you know it's wrong. Or God doesn't care. Or God doesn't know. Or God doesn't love you. Or... The truth is, God does know. He is present. He's absolutely aware. He knows what you're feeling. He knows what you're thinking. He knows exactly what you need. 
a, it's a wonderful benefit that helps us to stand firm in our faith. If we're a citizen of heaven, God promises his presence. Here's the fourth thing Paul says, if you're going to stand firm, you have to do. And it's anticipate radical transformation. Paul says, if you're going to stand firm in your faith, you have to anticipate radical transformation. Now in verse 20 and 21, he's looking to the future. It's something yet that's going to take place in the believer's life. Now let me read verse uh, 20 and 21 because this will fire you up. It says this, but our citizenship is in heaven. We just talked about that. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I don't know about you, but I could read that verse, close up my Bible, and I'd be fired up for the next week. How about you? That that's going to happen in our life. If I know Jesus Christ, if I'm standing firm in my faith, that is something that we are looking forward to that's a promise that's going to take place in the future. And it's something that Paul's reminding believers, when you are finding it hard to stand firm, remember this truth. So let's kind of break it down a little bit. Anticipate radical transformation. Paul's going to answer three really important questions. He's going to answer who's going to change us. He's going to talk, answer the question, what is that change going to look like? And what does it mean for us? And how is this person going to do it? But here's the thing. He starts with the who. Because if you don't have the confidence in who's going to do this in our life one day, who cares about the what and the how? We have to have confidence in who's going to do this. And so he takes some time to make sure we know very clearly who's going to one day radically transform our body. So let's just jump into this. Who's going to do it? He says this, and from it, the word it there is heaven, and from heaven we await a Savior. The word wait there means long for. Have you ever longed for somebody that you really care about? Have you ever felt that? Yeah, I felt that. I've often been in a situation where I've longed to be with my wife when we've been separated. That just happened uh, last summer when uh, Lynn went to Kodiak, Alaska. I know that seems like an odd place to go to vacation, but she, we had a friend there and she was going with another lady from our church and they were going to see this lady who had moved recently to Kodiak, Alaska. And I remember the day came when Lynn was going to fly out and we had packed her bags. I put them in the car. We drove to O'Hara Airport. I remember pulling up to the terminal, getting her bag out, walking her up to the door, giving her a big hug and kiss and squeeze and saying, I'm looking forward to seeing you in seven days. Have a great time. She walked through the terminal. I got back into the car. I started to drive away and I went, hey, I'm single again. I haven't felt this for a while. I can do what I want. I can do it when I want. I can eat what I want. I can eat all the garbage food I want. I... That was fun for about two days. And then my heart started to long to see Lynn. I really looked forward in a different way to those phone calls and those texts and the interactions that we were having and counting down to days that she would be coming back home. And I remember the day that I pulled back up to the airport and she came through the doors and she was in my arms again and we were together and the joy that that brought. Why was that so important? Because I loved her. And we have a relationship. 
and she's a part of my everyday life, and she wasn't, and I missed her. Do you see what Paul's saying, loved ones? Who are you waiting for? We're waiting for the Lord, our Savior, who we love, who should be a part of our everyday life, who we have a relationship for, who one day is coming back for us, who's going to radically transform our life. But listen, listen, before he moves on to what he's going to do, he says, but don't miss it. Let me tell you a little bit more about the who. Let me tell you why you're going to have confidence in what he's going to do. He gives the full names. He starts off. Remember, who's coming back for us? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Each word emphasizes a different thing that brings confidence to us. The word Lord emphasizes power. That's who he is. He's the Lord. He's in control. He's sovereign. He's sitting on the throne of this world that he's made and that he's in control of. And listen, believer, there's nothing that can come in the way ever of him accomplishing his purposes in your life, in your family, in this church. Nothing can ever be an obstacle to him accomplishing that. He's sovereign. He's the Lord. It's talking about his power. Oh, here's another thing. He's the Lord Jesus. The word Jesus emphasizes his provision. And yes, it's reminding us of the gospel and his great provision for our sin. And I trust that every person here this morning has come to the place in their life where they've embraced the Lord Jesus as a, a payment for their sin. And you know that forgiveness and you find the joy that that brings into your life. But it's more than that. That's where it starts. Paul's also talking about the, the process of sanctification and transformation that he's making us every day more to be like Jesus as we seek to stand firm in our faith and the process of intentional imitation of others who are imitating Christ in our life. He's the Lord Jesus, oh, Christ. You know what the word Christ emphasizes? His promises. He's the Christ He's the Messiah. He was the promised one. He's fulfilled all those Old Testament promises that said that one was coming to be our Savior. But it's not only that. As we open up God's Word on a regular basis in our life, we see the promises that He's made to us of who He is and what He'll be in our life and what He wants to do. And as we seek to apply those promises, not just read them, but as we apply them and live them out, we see that they're true and they bear fruit and it brings confidence to my life that if God will do these things, you know what? He's going to do what he said in the future. That's who we're waiting for. The Lord Jesus Christ. You can have confidence, loved ones. Stand firm. But it's not only the who, but what's he going to do? This should fire you up. What's he going to do? He says this. He's going to transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Okay, question. How many people here this morning would say, I have a lowly body? It's okay, put your hand up. We should all have our hands up, all right? We all have lowly bodies. I turned 58 years old this year, and every year I see that my body's becoming more lowly. It's becoming weaker. It's be gets more sick more often. It's not as strong as it used to be. I was out playing baseball this week, and I suffered for it for three days. You know what I'm saying? He's going to change this lowly body into the likeness of his. Now listen, loved ones, don't miss what that means. It doesn't mean that he's just going to make a 2.0 version of your body. What he's saying is we are going to be like him. We're going to have a body like, it's like his glorious body. 
But here's the question, so big deal, what's that mean? Why should that fire you up? I wrote down three reasons, three ways that that should fire you up. Sin, no more sin. That's what it means, no more sin. No more sin, no more defeat, no more temptation, no more addiction, no more bondage, no more anger, no more hatred, no more failure, no more regrets. Why? Because we're going to be like him. That's why. Oh, here's another reason. There's going to be no more suffering. Aren't you thankful for that? No more pain, no more surgery, no more wheelchairs, no more chemo, no more disease, no more depression, no more hospitals, no more funeral homes. Why? Because we're going to be like him. But here's a third reason. No more sin, no more suffering, no more separation. Isn't that fantastic? It's not One day we'll no longer look forward to it. We will be there and we will be like him and we will worship him and enjoy his presence for all of eternity. But it's not only that. This will encourage some of you. Some of you have loved ones that knew Christ and were doing that principle of imitation and bearing the fruit of Christ's likeness. They were seeking to stand firm and they've gone on to be with him. And guess what? There'll be no more separation. One day we will see them again. There will be a reunion and we will spend eternity with those loved ones. That's what he's going to do. How is he going to do it? Paul says this. How is he going to do all this? By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Key word there is the word subject. You know what it means? To put everything in its proper place. That's what Jesus is going to do one day. He's going to put everything in its proper place. That was Paul, what Paul was promising. Well, what does that mean to us? It's this. The one who put, is holding, as Colossians reminds us, the one who today is holding all the planets in their orbit, in their proper place, exactly where they need to be. The one who spoke creation into existence by a word. It's amazing. Just think about it. He spoke what we see today into existence. That's the one who's going to do it. He's going to do it with his feet up. It's not going to be a problem for him in any way. Jesus is the one who's going to do this in our life. And that, loved ones, when we think of who's going to do it and what he's going to do and when we're going through those challenges in our life and when you feel tempted to walk away from the truth, remember, stand firm because of what we look forward to. Anticipate radical transformation. There's a fifth one, and I'll just say it very quickly. It's really chapter 4 and verse 1. What's the last principle? That Paul says, if you're going to stand firm in your faith, he says, stand in faithful resolution. Stand in faithful resolution. He says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Don't you just love that phrase? Paul's thinking about this church, the Philippian church, these believers. These are people that are many of them know Christ because of the influence of Paul's ministry, his testimony, the way he lived his life. As he looks to the future, he says, you know what's going to be one of the joys and crowns of being in eternity? That I'm going to see you there, and you're going to be there because of what Christ did in your life, but he gave me a part of that. And it's my joy, my greatest joy and crown. Now listen, loved ones, what should that mean to us today? Why should that, in- why should that encourage you to stand firm today in your faith when we're facing all kinds of temptations and instability in our life? Paul says, stand firm. As he th- it's this reason. 
It's this reason. Because one of the greatest joys in being in heaven one day is the people who will be there because of your life and your testimony and the seeds that were dropped into their life that were watered over time where people came to know Christ and one day they'll be in heaven too and experiencing all that we're looking forward to. And so Paul is saying this. Think about it. There's many people who watch you. This is a good reminder for us. They know you're a believer. And and we get a chance to speak to them in two ways. Sometimes it's great when we get the opportunity to speak to them verbally and tell them about Jesus and the difference that he's made in our life. And sometimes the way we speak to them is living our life and what they observe and the difference they see. And sometimes that's being watched from a distance. And so here's what Paul's saying to us. Stand firm in your faith. Stand firm. People are watching. I can't think of a better way to say this except, so when we're tempted to do something stupid in our faith and to walk away from the truth, and some of us may be facing temptations in different way right now, Paul's saying, my joy, my crown, our life is impacting the lives of others for eternity. So stand firm. Stand firm. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the way that it encourages us. I thank you for the way it draws us back to you. I thank you for the way sometimes it even convicts us and challenges us and and causes us to need to change. It's amazing to me, Lord, that you would save us, that you would do these things in our life, that you would even want to use us. We see our weakness. I see my failure. I see my weaknesses, but you want to use me. And so, God, I pray for each one of us. I don't know what each one's going through. You do. Help us to apply these principles to our life. God, help us to stand firm in our faith today. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.